Welcome this morning. Welcome, welcome to Milestone McKinney. So glad that you are here. We are uh, starting a new series called Invisible Enemies. But before I get into that, I just want to celebrate the next generation. You may see this group of young people here with these white shirts on. Uh, they have just came back. They look a little sleepy, so I'm going to have to be real energetic. Make sure they don't fall asleep. But I see we got some leaders on the front row, second row, third row, ready to take notes. They're ready to go. These are our middle school students just getting back from middle school camp. Give them a big hand. I am, I get so excited. I, I, we were getting texts last night from Alex and Haley about just all that God was doing in young people's lives. And I'm just telling you, it's moments like this. It's camps and retreats that mark young people's lives. And at the end of the day, moms and dads, that's what we want. We want to know that our kids have met with Jesus, are growing and developing in a personal relationship with him. And I'm just telling you, it marks their life in so, so, it's such a significant way. You can't even really fathom how God uses such a short time frame like that for them to experience God's presence, for him to speak to them, and for them to grow in their relationship with him. And, and again, I think even to the last week, Alex, our youth director, did a phenomenal job, Elijah who is our, our uh, Milestone Young Adults uh, pastor and director. He did an amazing job having young people, these next up-and-coming leaders, sharing and talking and teaching. Why? Because we believe in the next generation. I won't always be here. Okay, I turned 44 yesterday. I'm getting old, you know what I'm saying? But I'm so grateful for the next generation. We invest into them. And what was awesome is there were so many at this campus as well as in Keller and Hazard. It was their first time to even preach on a Sunday morning. And so knowing that that's where we're headed and that's what we're focused on, I'm so proud, so grateful for the next generation and all that God is doing in them. And I just, I get pumped up about it. I, I have to be careful whenever I'm celebrating moments like this because I just look up at the clock and I'm like, devil. That's what we're talking about, devil trying to steal my time. You know, I got, I got something to say, right? I got to preach to the folk and the devil trying to steal my time. But I get excited about the next generation. So we're grateful for all that God did. But we're starting a new series called Invisible Enemies. And that may be new to you. You came in today and you're just like, this is just another Sunday. I didn't realize what this series is we're in. Maybe you've been looking forward to that. I was talking to someone earlier this week. They were really excited about this. And, and maybe you've heard that phrase before. Uh, uh, you know, invisible enemies, what does that mean? You've heard the phrase spiritual battle or maybe spiritual warfare, uh, spiritual enemies. What does that mean? What does that look like? And, and we're going to unpack that a little bit today. I want to be able to help equip you and, and help you understand what does this mean? Because you have to realize there's a very real enemy that's in opposition to you. The Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his role. That's his goal. And there's a couple of ways that he does that. And we're going to talk about that today. In fact, for some of us, until you really come into a relationship with Jesus, once you do, it's almost as if now it's like you have a target on your back. You may have felt that. You, you gave your life to Christ. You surrendered your life to Christ. And all of a sudden you're like, man, I thought it was going to be like angels singing and unicorns. And I don't know. Maybe there's unicorns. My daughter thinks there's going to be unicorns in heaven. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Rainbows, all of this stuff. And you're like, things just got worse. It's like just difficult and hard. And what's going on? And you... So you're, you're processing through this because actually once you surrender your life to Christ and you start following him, 
Now you have become his enemy because now you're not moving in the same direction as the enemy. You're moving in a different one. You know what I'm talking about? And so now, all of a sudden, you start feeling these things. And, and you go, have you ever felt like there's resistance, there's pressure, there's opposition, something is against you? The reason you're feeling that is because it's not just a feeling. It's the truth. That's what the Bible says. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in Ephesians chapter 6. In chapter 6, verse 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And against the rulers and the authorities and against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. There's a very real spiritual battle that we are in. And so you have to know what is the battle. You have to know how to address the battle. You have to know what is the spiritual equipment that I need in order to operate within this battle. Because when you look at this and what Paul is saying... He's saying, look, our, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. It's against something else. It's, but it's against these rulers and the authorities, these powers. This key phrase, the spiritual forces of evil. What does that mean? You see, when you're feeling this opposition and resistance, what he's saying is it's not your spouse. It's not your boss. It's not a cultural situation that's going on. It's not your children. It's not those things. There's something on a greater level and on a spiritual level that is going on. You see, you are spiritual beings in a spiritual battle living in a very natural context, but yet there's very much spiritual implications that are going on, whether you realize them or not. And so my heart for you, as I've been praying for you and thinking about this, is helping us understand, okay, what does that look like? I want to equip you. I want to help encourage you on how to recognize these invisible enemies, this spiritual battle that you're in, and how to walk in victory over that. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. We're going to look at an Old Testament story. It's going to be kind of a narrative. It's going to paint the picture. And I'm going to tie it to the New Testament. Because everything in the New Testament ties to the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament ties to the New Testament. And help you see and understand the correlation of this picture, this story that I'm going to share in 2 Kings. And how it ties to the New Testament and what Jesus has done for us. But when you think about, when you hear invisible enemies, when you hear spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, some of you are like, man, battle, you're like, battle, I like that, like, war, like, I thought, this is kind of cool, I'm dialing into that. Some of you are like, you lost me at spiritual, I don't know, what, what, are we, what are we doing, what are we talking about, I'm not sure. Well, here's what I realized, every one of us, when we hear those things, there's kind of this little continuum that we're on, and how we process and understand that thought, spiritual warfare, maybe, is how you've heard it, spiritual battles, this spiritual life that we're living, and here's some of the things that I think the ways in which we process, how do, how do most people respond when they hear that phrase, spiritual battles or spiritual warfare? I, I, the first is this. I think sometimes this is a vocal group. It's not a very large group, but, but it does happen. They over-spiritualize it. Over-spiritualize it. You know people like that? It's the devil. Everything is the devil. Like, it's like the devil. The devil, I, you know. Lost my keys, devil. D- devil, trying to make that clock just go real fast. She, devil, you know. Wendy, the other day, she came in. She said, babe. I said, 
what, boo? What, like, what, what happened? Like, startled him. She's like, someone stole my Target gift cards out of my wallet. She had been traveling. She was in Lafayette. Someone stole them. I'm telling, they, they stole, I was like, someone went in your wallet and took my, yes. Is that so hard to believe? I'm like, well, I'm kind of, but okay. I mean, that, that's all they took. Just Target gift cards. I mean, maybe it's another mom. I don't know what happened, you know. I, she's like, and it was a lot of money, like, it was a lot of money in these gift cards, like, hundreds of dollars. I mean, first off, I'm like, power to you. If I get a gift card, we burning that thing right away. I ain't letting it accumulate. Let's go. I mean, that thing burning a hole in my wallet, in my pocket. Let's get after it. So she's looking around. I'm like, well, I mean, can you track it? Can you find it? I mean, I don't know how this, how this thing works. I'm like, no, I don't know. She's just walking around, looking everywhere. Looking. She goes outside and she comes back in. So I found them. Okay, so just to be clear, no one stole them. So I, got there. I said, where were they? In the van. In a pile. If you've been around Milestone Church at any amount of time, you know my wife has this spiritual gift of piles. She just, she makes piles everywhere, and it happened to be in a pile. So thank goodness, but you think the devil stole my Target gift cards, you know? The devil made me do it, and the devil made me do it. Anyone ever got that from a child? Devil, why did you do that? Devil made me do it. You know, you ever try and use it? I've used that, you know. The thing that the foolish things that we do, it's like the devil made me do it. The devil. So, like, I had one of those moments, you know, this past week. It was like I had this moment, and I'm like, the devil made me do it. Well, what was it, Pastor? The devil made me get a goat. You know the exploits that we've talked about. Now, some women, for their 20 years, we celebrated 20 years last Wednesday. Some women want a diamond ring. My wife, she wants a goat. So let me introduce to you Mr. Darcy Lerma, the goat. I bought my wife a goat for our 20-year anniversary. That's all she wanted, baby. There's your goat. Now... Little fun fact, that goat is not at my house. I'm grateful for friends, many of you, who have acreage in the area. So I have a friend, six acres, and Anna, he said, do you want a goat? I said, how much? The price was right. And he said, you know what? You just give me 10 bucks a month. I'll make sure it has food and water. I'm like, it's like a gym membership. That's awesome. I'll pay for it and never go. (laughs) All right. It's like, Wendy can come out anytime she wants. She can just come. I said, like, what is it good for? Like, it's, it's kind of older. He's like, nothing. It's basically a pet. You know, it's like, all right, well, okay, perfect. He's like, she can come anytime she wants. Doesn't even have to let us know. You know, just come whenever you want to come. Just don't come after dark. So the devil made me do it. Not really. Love made me buy a goat. I love you, boo. But we do that. We think, well, the devil made me do it. Right? And so I think that's the next I think way in which we kind of process and, and think through how we respond, I think sometimes we have strong opinions about things that happen, but we really haven't operated with any wisdom. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Chris? I think sometimes we say the devil made us do something or the devil's causing something to happen when really it's the consequence of a foolish decision. I think the devil gets blamed for a lot of things. It's really our foolish choice. We made a decision, like, well, you know, the devil just coming at me. I'm doing this, this, and that. No, 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 no. That, that was, you, you got out ahead of yourself, and you're operating outside of God's wisdom. The devil didn't make you do that. That was just, you had a strong opinion about something you wanted to do. You're trying to put your foolish decision and the consequence of your foolish decision on the devil when it was just you being foolish. Call it what it is. 
And so we move out in that way and we operate a little faster. I mean, humans are the only people, the only ones that when they're confused about a situation, they'll run faster towards what they're confused about. Think about it. I don't know what I should do. Let's go faster towards that, you know. Well, I figured it out before. Maybe I'll figure it out this time. No, no, no. You probably will not figure it out. You're going to make it worse, all right. Just slow down. But here's the third thing in the ways in which we respond. I think this is probably the vast majority of us. It's we underestimate the spiritual. We don't recognize that we need God to help us before we start stepping out and moving into things. We don't recognize that there's spiritual forces. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. There's things that are going on spiritually that are far bigger than we realize and they have greater implication than we realize and we're getting out ahead of ourselves and we minimize. We don't realize and understand the significance of the spiritual aspect of things. Here's the bottom line, whether we realize it or not, we're in a battle. And so as I started thinking about that, and I started thinking about how do I help you, how do I encourage you, I started thinking about, well, what would be the questions I would ask, what might be the questions you would ask, and I, and I think probably one of the first questions you start thinking about, okay, spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, here's the, my next lo- logical thought, and maybe yours as well, maybe you're kind of thinking this way as well, like, well, how do I know if I'm in a spiritual battle? Like, I hear what you're saying, like, spiritual battles, but, but how do I know? Okay, so I want to help you understand, because what I want to do today is I, I just want to kind of set the premise and understanding what this is and understanding the significance of it and then help equip and encourage you along the way so that you know how to handle when you're in a spiritual battle. Well, the first place is knowing if you are in one. Well, here's one way. This is not an exhaustive list, okay? So just having walked with people for over 20 years, pastoring and leading people, both Wendy and I counseling people, having looked at God's word and seeing what you see in God's word and how the enemy might attack and how he might challenge, this is kind of what I've summarized it up to. So it's, like I said, not an exhaustive list. But first is this, confusion. Confusion. Like, there, there, there's just a lack of clarity, and it's overwhelming, and you're not sure how to handle it. Now, I'm not talking about there's moments where, you know, you, you need to seek wisdom, or you got to get insight, or you need perspective. I'm not saying you have to have all the answers. I'm talking about when you're in a situation that is consistently unclear, it's consistently confusing, it's consistently chaotic, and it's overwhelming to you, you might be in a spiritual battle. It's confusing. God is a God of order. He wants to bring clarity. He wants to bring order. You might be in a spiritual attack if you're, it's a highly confusing situation and circumstance. Here's another one. And these two tie closely together. Fear. Fear. It's irrational. There's despair. You can't shake it. One of the first scriptures we taught our children early on and to memorize, we even did little hand movements with it. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. God has not given you a spirit of fear. God wants to come and bring peace. He wants to bring clarity. You see, the spirit of God will come and he will lead you with peace, but the flesh will drive you. You try to figure it out. See, because that's the challenge. For most of us in here, when we have a problem, you want to know what most of us in here do? We just figure out how to fix it. But there are some things in life you can't push harder. You can't drive harder. You can't make it happen, fix it, make it work. 
because you're in a spiritual battle and you're going to need spiritual equipment to know how to handle that situation and process it properly. So you might be in a spiritual battle if you're overwhelmed with fear. Here's another offense and accusation. You seemingly have lost trust in God or the people God's put in your life. There's a lot of us that we don't realize right here. You may think you're offended at somebody when really you're offended at God. You're mad at God. God, why did you let fill in the blank? Whatever it is. And at the end of the day, ultimately what you have to do is you've got to reconcile that with God. God's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. He's not even disappointed or surprised that you might be mad at him. He's patiently waiting for you to begin to reconcile that so that you walk in healing and wholeness. But you will find that most often when you're going through a challenging situation, most of our default is they. They did this. They did that. If they would do this, if they wouldn't do that, if they would just fit. And so what happens is the enemy comes. The Bible says he's the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren. He will accuse someone to you. And he will cause you to buy in when you're in the middle of a spiritual battle to feel like they are all against you. They're all coming at you. They all don't like you. They all have it out for you. They. That's a spiritual battle. Here's another one. Condemnation. You beat yourself up. You fixate over your weakness. And can I just make one thing really clear? The Holy Spirit... He's good at his job, and one of the things that he does is he convicts us. He convicts us about righteousness, and it says that the, the Bible says that he leads us into all truth. So there may be times where, and there should be times, where the Holy Spirit is convicting you about a way that you're acting, a way that you're responding. In fact, if you ever get to the point where you aren't hearing, listening, feeling, the nudging of the Holy Spirit to convict you about a way that you're acting or responding, it's a dangerous place to be. Because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you about those things. But what begins to happen is this. When we allow condemnation to overwhelm us, we end up in one of two ditches. We overemphasize grace. It's not a big deal. It's okay. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is going to convict you because you're in a process called sanctification. I gave my life to Jesus in that moment. I was justified. My spirit is made new. It's made alive. That's what the Bible says. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But now I live this life. It's the starting block. Now I'm living this life. And that life is overshadowed and underneath the umbrella of this process called sanctification where the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, where I'm learning and growing and that process will never stop until I breathe my last breath and I'm now with Jesus. So make no mistake, some of the nudging you feel is the Holy Spirit. The difference is condemnation comes in and says the mistake you made is who you are. You're, you are bad, not you just did bad. And so he brings guilt and shame. That's condemnation. If you are overwhelmed with condemnation, with guilt and shame, you might be in a spiritual battle, which all of these things ultimately, here's what they lead to, isolation. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to isolate you. Man, they don't understand. They think this about me. They think that about me. Pull away. Can I tell you, young people? I'm just going to tell you right now. You... It has been going, just ask your parents. I'm sure you've heard it. 
your parents would be like, I was your age one day. And you're like, no, you weren't. I mean, there's no way you were ever my, I mean, look at you. You know, it's like, I get it, young people, okay? I'm going to tell you what the devil's doing. He's lying to you that your parents don't understand who you are or where you're at. Why? To isolate you, to pull you away from God and to pull you away from the voices God's put in your life. Recognize what's going on. Husbands and wives, recognize what's going on. When you're in opposition over and over and you keep wanting to pull away, go back and listen. I shared with you what our responses are in relationships when we talked about family and how you either turn away, you turn against, or you turn towards. And typically what happens in a marriage relationship, one tends to turn away, one tends to turn against, and it just keeps feeding itself until ultimately you separate. I'm just telling you, the enemy's goal is to isolate because when he can, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So I want us to look at 2 Kings chapter 6 because I want us to, to look at this story and this illustration of what God's doing. And there's an individual in this story, this man's name is Elisha. Now, some may know this man who mentored and developed Elisha, this man's name was Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. He developed Elisha. He was like a mentor to him. Many people know Elijah, but Elisha performed more miracles. And so what's happening here is there's this king that wants to attack the people of Israel, but God keeps showing up, talking to Elisha and letting the king of Israel know, hey, This guy's about to come and attack. Be ready. And every time the king comes to attack, the people of Israel are ready. And this king of this other country is getting frustrated. And this is where we pick up the story because God is speaking to Elisha. Elisha is letting the king of Israel know what's going on. And we're going to get a picture and then I'm going to tie this to the New Testament and then give you some very real practical things to help you understand how to handle the spiritual battles that you face. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 11 says, This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of the officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. What is he saying? He's saying, look, God is giving Elisha insight to what's about to happen. Can I tell you, moms, dads, God will speak to you about your kids. He'll give you insight. God will speak to you about the decisions you need to make and about your business. He'll give you wisdom. Young people, don't try and get away with it. Just wave the white flag. If your parents start praying, God show us. They will. God will show them, and they will know. You want to know how I know? Because that's where I'm at. I am the result. of. I'd walk in the house. I was up to no foolish. It wasn't the devil. I, try, I promise you that. It was me and all my foolishness. My mom be like, did you, whatever you can think of to fill in the blank, I promise you, I probably did it. Okay, just being transparent. All right. Did you? I'm like, you know, I mean, like, this is weird, you know, I mean, God would just show her, and she would pray for me, she would encourage me, God will show you, if you will seek him, he'll give you insight and wisdom beyond what you have in the natural, that's what's happening here, verse 16, do not be afraid, the prophet answered, oh, I'm sorry, verse 13, I jumped down, I'm sorry, verse 13, go find out where he is, the king ordered, they're looking for, for Elisha, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. 
Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Here's what's happening. He's surrounding the city, middle of the night. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, hadn't had his coffee, hadn't had his quiet time, hadn't been able to work out that morning. Early in the morning, he goes out. Watch what happens. First thing that happens. It says, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And he says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. I love it. Watch what happens here. Verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Just a side note. That thought, that phrase, don't be afraid. I talked about fear. Fear is a way to know if you're in a spiritual battle. Fear not. Did you know the phrase fear not or don't be afraid is in the Bible 365 times? Do you want to know what else there's 365 of? Okay. One for every day. I think God's trying to get a point across to us. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Now watch this. I love it. Look at what he says. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's my prayer for you. That you would understand in the spiritual battle that you're in, as much as you feel overwhelmed and surrounded, there are more who are with you than who are with them. More who are with you than who is against you. Watch what he says. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw, his, saw the hills full of horses and the chariots of fire all around Elisha. He said, help him to see. My prayer is that you would see. You would see something that otherwise you would not see. Verse 18, as the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. You see, the servant is dialed into the physical. He's fighting a physical battle. Elisha wasn't fighting a physical battle. He's fighting a spiritual battle. Now you say, Pastor Chris, why would we start out with 2 Kings when talking about this? Because what we see here is a picture of what Jesus did and modeled for us. Jesus is about to go and die on the cross. He's in the garden. The Romans come. They come to take him and arrest him. One of the disciples thinks he's fighting a physical battle. So what does he do? He's there and he's like, I want to save Jesus. Pulls out a sword. Cuts off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers. Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Picks up the ear. Puts it back on the Roman soldier. Heals him. Imagine seeing that. Jesus said this. He goes, oh, time out. If I wanted, I would call down. Twelve legions of angels. Now at that time, a legion, the Roman soldiers, their context of legion was anywhere from four to 6,000 soldiers. So you're talking about anywhere from, what's the math, 48 to 72,000 soldiers? He's saying, I could, I could call down anywhere from 48 to 72,000 angels in a moment. But what's he saying? I'm not fighting a physical battle, Peter. I'm fighting a spiritual battle. Why? Because he knew what he was about to go and do would give us the ultimate victory that we all needed. Because when Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, we now have access to a victory that we could not have access to in our own strength. Why? Because, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we never lose with Jesus. You go, well, hold up, Pastor. I, I, I've lost a loved one. I, I've lost a job. I've lost a business deal. I've lost a child. You can't tell me. I, no, no, no. I didn't say you wouldn't have pain. Jesus even said, 
in the book of John. He said, in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Why? Because with Jesus you never lose. But we miss it. That is the key to walking in victory over spiritual battles. Well, Paul even recognized this. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks to God, thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where does our victory come from? It's not in our ability. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our flesh. It's not in our willpower. Willpower, it's not in our drive. It's not in our experience. It's through Jesus. Our victory is in Him. That's what Jesus is modeling for us in the garden. This is what Elisha is modeling for us in this situation. Time out. Whoa, we're not fighting a physical battle. We're fighting a spiritual one. And I think so many of us, especially believers, we do not realize this simple, really principle and truth that is so significant and can revolutionize the way we see the situations we walk through. And it's this. To approach a spiritual battle with strength, you recognize that you're fighting from victory, not for it. What Jesus did on the cross is more than enough. You don't have to fight for it. You're moving from victory. It has already been done. So how do we access that? You're like, all right, Pastor, are you telling me, like, I'm just not going to go through hard times, and if I am, and it's not going to affect? No, no, no. I have those moments. You, Pastor? Absolutely. Trust me. Just ask my wife, 20 years of marriage. In fact, that was one of the things we talked about. Celebrated all the things. She's like, it's been amazing. There have been some hard moments. I was like, really? She's like, there's this and that. I was like, well, that was a little hard. It's not that we don't go through it. It's how you see it. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. But over the years, having learned a few things here and there about how to respond when I'm in a spiritual battle has helped me in changing my perspective and knowing how to access a victory I have through what Jesus did on the cross and not just simply lean in to my own experience, my own drive, or my own willpower. So what do we do? What do I do when I'm in a spiritual attack? I'm going to give you some real practical things real, real quick right here over the next few minutes. And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And the first is this. What do I do when I'm in a spiritual attack? Well, the first thing is this. Close the door. Close the door to the enemy. Ephesians 4.27 says, And do not give the devil a foothold. That word foothold in the Greek is the word topos. It's where we get the word topography. It's also where we get the word turf. Paul is saying, don't give the devil any turf. You're in a turf war. Don't give him any turf. Well, how do I do that? Well, you know, it's like I was talking to someone one time. They're like, man, I just have rough dreams at night. And it's like I always have nightmares. I'm like, okay, well, tell me about your days or something going on. Like, what do you do? And so he tells me a couple things. I'm like, well, what are you doing like before you get to bed? Well, I really love like, I love scary movies. So I'm like watching like all these. I'm like, bro, like stop watching scary movies. I mean, the walking down. I have nightmares like half, you know, zombies coming at me. I mean, no wonder. What's going in your eyes? What's going in your ears? 
So I was like, I'm just overwhelmed with anxiety. It's like, well, what do you do? What's your day look like? Well, I do this and I go to work. Okay, well, what are you listening to? What are you watching? Well, I have a big TV over in my office at home. And so I just throw on the news and I have the news going on all day. Hello? You want to know why you're anxious? Stop watching. I'm not saying don't be informed. You want to know why you're anxious? You're watching the news all day long. Turn it off. Close the door. There's some things that you have opened yourself up to. And you need to close the door. You need to close the window. I, I give this example often. If you, and, and some of you, you go, well, I've done that. I've closed the doors. I've locked it. I've bolted. Okay, what are some of the areas that you may have open in your life? If I've locked all the doors, I've battened down all the hatches, and the back window to the back bedroom is open in my house, and a burglar comes in that back bedroom window, does he just have access to that back bedroom? No. He's got access to the whole house. He's just coming in through the back bedroom. And for some of you, you're experiencing things because you've left a back window open and you're wondering, why am I going through these things? You're in a spiritual battle. And the way you can have victory is close the door to the enemy. Close the door to the enemy. Here's the second. The second is this. Take your thoughts captive. Take your thoughts captive. I love that word captive. It's aggressive. I don't know. Maybe that's just because I'm a guy and it dies in it. Not that any of the ladies in here are like, yeah, let's Captive. Okay, I like that. Take captive. You're going to own it. Why? Why? Because this, when you take your thoughts captive, what you're doing is you're taking the high ground. The mind is the high ground. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. I'm taking and making it obedient to Jesus Christ. I'm standing upon his word. You got to start being aggressive. You, you, you be aggressive about the thoughts that come to your mind. I have thoughts that pop into my mind all the time. I have to take those thoughts captive and choose not to buy into the lie of the enemy. I have to choose to do that every day. You can't choose to do that. Why is that significant? That high ground well, it's a military strategy. Uh, when you look, it, it, the importance of the high ground, you can look at some key battles. The Battle of Gettysburg, high ground. The Battle of Thermopylae, that's what the movie 300, it's an exaggerated version of the, mo the, the movie 300 is an exaggerated version. But what was it? You had these thousands of Persians, but you had these Spartan Greeks that had the high ground and they were able to defend their position. And so what happens is, bottom line, it becomes harder for the enemy to attack you. And you can come at the attack of the enemy and you can defend yourself and stand upon God's truth because you're taking every thought captive. The mind is the high ground. You can own it in that way. Here's the third thing. Remember, we're not fighting alone. There, there is very few things in the kingdom of God that you're going to do by yourself. God's called us to walk together. God's called us to be able to walk together and experience things together in the kingdom. Even when it comes to like reading your Bible, praying, things like that, I get and understand, like, you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you have your own personal quiet time, but even that whole, like, my own personal quiet time, like, that's like a cultural context that we've built. When you look at the early church, they actually studied the Bible and prayed together. They actually read the Bible out loud together. So if you're in a small group and things like that, that's why it's so significant. You're actually modeling what the early church did and does. And so 
when you look at those things, it's just know you're not alone. When you are transparent and you're vulnerable, what begins to happen is you begin to walk with others. And when you walk with others, it allows others to war with you. But when you are, I'm in a spiritual battle, I'm, I'm offended, I'm acute, they did it, then you're not allowing them to battle and war with you. You're creating battles and wars with them. And so you miss out on what God has in store for you when it comes to walking in victory over spiritual battles. Here's the last thing. Number four, confess the word of God. Confess the word of God. You see, remember, we're fighting from victory. There's an authority that we have because of what Jesus did on the cross. But there's an authority you have been given in God's word. The authority comes from what Jesus did on the cross. And the authority comes from the word of God. And you may know scriptures, but do you know how to confess it? Do you know how to pray it? Do you know how to stand upon it? Even Jesus modeled this for us. He goes into the desert. He's tempted by the devil. The devil, he's fasting 40 days. I don't know about you. If you've ever fasted, you're like, I fast 40 minutes and I'm hungry. I would have given, I would have been a bad example. I'm just telling you. The devil's like, turn those rocks or turn those rocks into bread. 40 minutes in, I've been like, all right, let's do it. I'm hungry. I mean, I would have been a bad and thank you, Jesus. He was there. You know what Jesus did? He looked at the devil and he says, Does the word of God not say, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. If the son of God saw the significance of using the authority of the word to confess God's word, to quiet the lie of the enemy and have victory in a spiritual battle, how much more should we? Jesus himself did it. Look, I'm going to take from that playbook. All right, Jesus, if you did, I, I'm, going with, I'm going with what Jesus did. I know y'all can go with whatever plan, game plan you want. I'm going to go with Jesus model. I don't know about you, but I'm following that. So when we begin to confess God's word, it changes and transforms. And we begin to access an authority in his word, in his word that allows us to live from victory and walk from victory over the spiritual battles that we're walking in.